All right. Now the name. I know some of you have heard this before, but I just want to go through sort of the motions here just to get us pointed in the right direction. The Hebrew title for that, um, if you can say this without drooling and slobbering, you're better than I am, but it's uh, Sefer Ma'ase Bereshit. Okay? That's how you would say that. And literally, this is the Hebrew name of the book. And it means the book of the act uh, of in the beginnings. <laughs> okay? Now, obviously, it was changed later, and this is what many of you, especially if you took the IBS class and the, uh, the uh, uh, Bible uh, introduction class, we really looked at just this shortened Bereshit. And, uh, uh, and really what that simply means is it breaks down to the beginnings or origins, okay? So that's the Hebrew. Now the Greek is where we get the title of the book Genesis from. That is Genesios, is how you would say that. For us, it would be Genesis, and of course, it also means beginnings. So the title that we use for this particular book, we're using the Greek word that, uh, that came to us down through the ages, much like we do with the name of Jesus, Jesus. Is was his name uh, when actually it was Yeshua. But anyway, so that's what you've got going there. So that's what the name means. Now, the next thing you have to do is you have to argue with people over who was the author. Okay? Now, what you need to understand is that Moses, was, it was attributed to Moses in a sense, but not directly linked to him because Moses was, uh, uh, was not named, or Genesis was not named as coming from, uh, from, from Moses, as was clearly uh, the other four books that he wrote, okay? And the reason is, is because Moses was not an eyewitness of the events of Genesis, like he was certainly for the other four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now you put Genesis in there, you get the five, those five penta, and, that, and then the five writings or the five books is called the Pentateuch, okay? That's how we get the Pentateuch. That's where that comes from, all right? Um, but what, notice, what Moses would have done, and we'll work our way through this, and this will make sense as we move through, but he would have collected oral and written accounts, and it's gonna, they, probably these things, as best we can tell, would have been based on what we're going to talk about here. Hopefully I'll get that far this evening, on what's called the toll dots. Okay? Don't worry about that. It means simply origins. Okay, or generations in some of our translations. We'll be talking a little bit more about that. But those give us a rough breakdown of what's moving through the book of Genesis. Okay, so it appears that, for an example, uh, Noah would have written the account of the flood down, um, and he would have explained, uh, you know, why it happened, uh, what happened during the flood, what happened after the flood, and he would have introduced his sons, and he would have, you know, kept records of that, and then he would have passed that on, obviously, to Shem, one of his sons. Shem would have added to that, and, of course, that's, that's how we believe that it was passed down, okay? Um, that's what it would appear like, because these breaks, uh, these things called toll dots, are, are very distinct, and really explain and, and break it down into these different sort of categories. And it's really interesting to study Genesis like this. And that's really the approach that we're going to take this time, okay? But a little more about that later on. So what ultimately then, what Moses would have been now for the book of Genesis, not for the Pentateuch, okay? In other words, all five, but for Genesis, he would have been the compiler as well as the editor. So in other words, he would have added some things to those accounts 
that, that had come to him, maybe from some oral uh, things like that, and that's what we have. But he would have been the compiler and the editor, but not the author of Genesis. Again, that would have been passed on uh, down, and ultimately get, it, would, it would have landed in Abraham's hands, and then Abraham would have passed it on to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and uh, Jacob to Judah, so on and so forth, until you get all the way, then Moses now um, you know, has uh, access to this stuff, okay? So, so that's just basically a couple of things. I don't want to really spend a lot of time in this. Now, what's the purpose of the book of Genesis? It's simple. It is a divine, now keep that in mind, it is a divine revelation for all that exists. That's very important to understand because without God revealing these things, we cannot understand why anything exists. Okay? So what God has done in the pages of this book that we call Genesis, what he has done is he has given us a, a first-hand account from himself at times and from his people at other times about how he worked and how he, uh, how he ministered uh, or uh, he dispensed his grace, if we're talking about the dispensation concept, how he dispensed his grace during certain periods of history. Okay? So this is the divine revelation. It is not man's revelation. Obviously, without revelation from God, man would know nothing. The only thing we know of God and all that surrounds us is that which God has chosen to reveal. And in existence, uh, within the heavens and within the earth, there are things that we simply don't know. God has chosen, for whatever reason, to withhold those things until a later time. And when he will, he will give us, you know, we'll, we'll, our knowledge will be complete at that point. But at this particular time, and throughout the history of the world, that has not been the case. God has given us everything we need to know, but there are things that he has kept to himself. Okay? That's why a lot of times, like in the book of Daniel, you come to that 12th chapter, and Gabriel is talking to Daniel, and Daniel's asking questions, and Gabriel says, listen, you need to seal this up. In other words, stop worrying about it. Stop it here, because these things that, that, are, that are, are going to happen after this are going to be revealed in the latter days. I believe that's us, and that's why I think, as Daniel, Gabriel also said, knowledge will increase. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the revelation of God. Okay, even in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John told by Jesus himself to write everything that he sees, the things which are, the things which will, um, the things which you have seen, the things which are and the things which will shortly come after. Okay, and John is told to do those. And yet after being told, he gets to something and we John himself records for us. And I started to write and one of the angels, probably Gabriel again, said to me, do not write this. So God has reserved some things that he has chosen not to reveal to us. We don't know what those things are. We can spend the rest of our lives trying to figure it out, and we're not going to get it. Okay? And yet people, uh, it's insane. But that's what the purpose of Revelation is. Now this is just a few okay, of, of, the, uh, of uh, the revelation of, of the origins of all of these things. Okay? From the divine perspective, as it's revealed... To man, okay? First of all, this list could go on and on, all right? This is just some that jumped out at me. I thought it was really cool that I ended on 12. <laughs> but anyways, um, the, 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 uh, the existence of the universe as a whole, okay? In other words, from chaos to cosmos, 
We'll be talking more about that when we actually get into the days of uh, uh, the days of creation. Okay, but for now, understand that that's talking about that. But there's more than just the universe. There's a solar what system. There is this thing that God placed within the universe that functions as a system. And that function of that system directly has an impact on man and the place that God has put him within that system. Okay? So the solar system is not as broad as the universe, but it is still significant to understand there is a difference between the two. Okay? Because the, the, the whole concept of system. Obviously, it also uh, the, uh, 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 is the revelation of life. Where life came from, how it exists, what kind of life it is. We're going to look when we move through this and we get into, uh, uh, into the creation even of the animals uh, as well as man and, and woman. Uh, and we're going to see that there's going to be something there um, that God is going to do that's really unique. Okay? And it isn't the, the, uh, the, 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 the creation of man in the sense that God forms him from the earth. No, the, the body, in other words, the physical side of man was just that, formed. It was not created. That is not the creation of man. The creation of man comes when God breathes life into his nostrils. That is why, and we're going to explain why, because that Hebrew word bara. Okay? Anybody from IBS remember what bara means? Hebrew word? Ah, yeah, yeah. And you, now you know why we go back over these. I'm just kidding. Bara is that Hebrew word. We're going to spend a lot of time on this. It means to bring something into existence which did not exist before. Okay? So the forming of the, the body of man was formed, not created, because it was formed from the dust of the earth, something that already existed. That is not the creation of man. Okay? So you got this body laying there, and then God breathes, and, and then that thing becomes a nefesh, a living being. In other words, God gives it a soul. And notice that the soul originates from God, and then he also gives that body a spirit that allows that, that new creation now to communicate with God. So we're going to be looking at all of those things and, and getting a better handle on that. And I'm telling you, it'll really help you to understand uh, how you are and why you function because you were created in the image and likeness of God. That's not just a saying. That is absolute certainty. And when you understand that, this body, soul, spirit concept and understand what God has done through this as, as he reveals life uh, by giving it to man and then, and of course, to the woman, all of a sudden you just, you kind of go, wow, so that's why we do the things we do. So life and what that really means Okay, the, the nefesh, a living being. Okay, and then he puts, uh, and then he breathed into man the spirit, the ruach. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the ruach hakodesh. That's spirit holy is what it amounts to. But the ruach, so man becomes this thing that's alive. Animals as well, but they're missing something. Okay, interesting. We'll go on to that when we get there. And then of course I've been battering this already. Man. The existence of man and what that means for man to be in God's image and likeness. This will really be helpful to, to you. Um, so uh, I, would, I would encourage you to try to, uh, to really be there when we get to this part. And of course, the institution of marriage. <laughs> the institution of marriage was ordained by God, not the U.S. Constitution. Simple as that. Thank God the U.S. Constitution was based on God's word. 
well, un until now, everybody's trying to change it. But this is where it originated. It was God's idea, not man's. Okay? So we're going to see the revelation and the origin of marriage. Of course, the next was, is pretty obvious, the origin of sin. Where did sin come from? How did it get into this world? How did it create the problems that we see that surround us today? That's where the revelation of sin comes in. And ultimately, it's a rejection of God and making yourself God and doing, making your own decisions contrary to God. All of the rest, whether it's adultery, whether it's drunkenness, or, you know, fill in the blank, pornography, are the results of taking the place of God. Okay? That's the problem. That's why it's called sin. The sin is a rejection of the Creator and trying to function in life apart from Him, which is what Adam and Eve ultimately ended up doing by their dumb decision. Okay, And when they sinned, they rejected God, the result was sins that followed that. Okay, One of those sins would be their son, one of their sons would murder the other one. Okay, So we're going to be talking about all of that. Obviously language, Okay, the creation of language. It is clear from scripture that from the get-go when God created man in his image and likeness, Adam of course we're talking about here, that there was the, Adam was created with the ability to communicate to God. Okay? And the ability to write, because he's going to say this is the book of the generations, or the toldot, of the heavens and the earth. So that tells us that Adam was not only created with the ability to communicate with God, Okay? But he was also created with the ability to record that communication with God. It gets really interesting when we get into this stuff. Of course, culture comes out of that. We'll see how different cultures and how the original cultures had moved so far after sin, the sin, in other words, the fall, how sin began to multiply and sins were the result until you get over there till now there are people who are actually raising up and shaking their fist in the face of God. And then there's sin in the, in the uh, spiritual realm as there's an attempt to pervert the created order, resulting in these folks that we know from the scripture as the Nephilim, okay? To which God would say, uh, no, okay? So all of these things, so culture. Then, of course, the nations. We get to Genesis chapter 10. You see the, the nations. Where did the nations come from? To this day, people try to figure this out. And it's interesting that every time they try to figure out and they tell you that it came from Africa, they find out they were wrong. And it ultimately it, uh, it initiated from this place that in the Bible was called Mesopotamia. For us would be the Middle East. Okay? That that's where this all comes out of. And the nations then go into their different areas and, and you, get, you tie the lungs, or the lungs, the languages all tie into the nations as well. I can't believe I said lungs. Aye, aye, aye. Okay, and then... The government, the government is established first with Noah, okay? Now, you get off the boat, you know, you know, hey, the animals are now afraid of you. You're no longer being a, be a vegan. You're going to, these animals, you're going to get to eat whatever you want to eat. This is where hunting got real popular. He had a killer crossbow. I don't, I don't know what he had, but anyway. And then, then, then God tells Noah that now from this day forward, if any man murders another, then his life must be taken. 
So there's a form of government that initiates itself. And of course, it's perverted again when you get over to chapter 11 with Babel and you get all this other stuff that's going on. But government enters into the picture. And we'll see when we get through those nations how the type of people that these guys were and where they're... Uh, the character, I guess, of the sons of Noah and how that passed on to their descendants. And, and you'll recognize that when we, when, when we start talking about it and recognize it in the map, even as we understand it today. Okay? Clearly, it is the, uh, the origin and the revelation of both redemption and religion. Okay, when we get to that, we're going to be talking more about that. Again, this initiates, I believe, with Cain and Abel, and I call this the Cain factor. Okay, we'll be talking about that tonight. It's not the time to dive into that, but just sort of to wet your whistle to keep you coming back, I hope. Um, and then lastly, not really lastly, but on my list at least, um, is the nation of Israel itself. Why they are so significant. And why to this day, God continues to bless this group of people in spite of the hostility that surrounds them. I mean, you cannot deny this. I've shared with you guys before, people said to me literally, really smart aleckly, well, I can't believe you believe. How could you believe in the Bible and believe in a God? And I look at them and I go, Israel. <laughs> what? Israel, the nation of Israel. How do you explain the nation of Israel? You cannot explain the nation of Israel without the scripture. You can't be done. It just simply can't. These people should not exist. They shouldn't. And not only should they not exist, they shouldn't be in back in the dang land. The whole world doesn't want them in there. And yet, there they are. There's something to those folks. Now, they've got some things to learn. There's no doubt about that. But they're precisely where they are, doing what God said they would do, so that he can get their attention. But you learn, we'll see as we move through this, why that is so important. Because Israel is, because, is important because our Savior would be an Israelite. So we need to understand that. Okay? And what all of that means. Okay? So this is the, the, uh, the divine revelation. And we could go on, believe me, we could go on and on and on. We could talk about uh, 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 some of the, the revelation and origins of things like death. Where did death come from? Well, this Genesis will tell us. Where does deformity come from? It comes from, from Genesis. Where do we, uh, we could get into doctrinal issues. Well, where does the doctrine of salvation come from? From Paul in the book of Romans? No, from, from Genesis. What about the doctrine of sanctification? Or we could go on with all the shuns, right? Reconciliation, restoration, imputation. You know, uh, we could just go on and on and on. Where do these things all find their base? Genesis. If you want to understand what salvation means, you must understand Genesis. You must. If you're going to understand redemption, you must understand Genesis. And we could go on and on and on. You get the idea. And this could, we could go on for days about this stuff. Everything you want to know is back there in Genesis. Why? Because it is the book of origins. Ding, ding, ding. Okay? It's no wonder the world wants to throw it out. All right? Having said that, it is, as I've said earlier, it is Genesis chapters 1 to 11 that most come under attack, in particular in the field of science. Now, we could throw the atheists in here, we could throw the agnostics, but those people aren't really what they claim to be anyways. It's a nice thought, and you know, it's easy to say when you're not standing on the precipice facing eternity. When that happens, 
things will change. There's the true statement, there is no atheist in the foxhole. When your life is on the line, all of a sudden, reality sinks in, and you're about ready to cross over, and you can deny it all you want until it smacks you upside the head. So science really comes after this, all right? Now, I put a quote in here. I wanted to read this to you because I, thought, I found this fascinating, okay? Um, well, let me read it first, and then, we'll, then, then I'll explain to you who this is. I could not believe when I read this who it was that said this, because I've listened to this guy before. I've read his stuff. He's phenomenal uh, as an astronomer, and he's just, he's just an amazing individual. And, but he was, he's always, and I, I, won't, I won't title a guy as being anti-God, but he certainly didn't want to believe in God. I mean, come on, he's an astronomer, right? I mean, the, the universe has to have been out there for billions of years, right? So, so the guy was certainly not anybody that you, but this was written just only about 12 years ago, which is interesting. And I was, I was reading this as I was typing it up, putting it onto the PowerPoint today. And I'm thinking, man, Lord, I know this, who this guy is. I've, I've read his stuff. I've watched him. I've heard stuff. And, and uh, man, I, I pray, because this doesn't tell you whether or not he's become a believer or not, but how cool would that be? But anyway, listen to this. There is a kind of religion in science. It is the religion of a person who believes that there is order and harmony in the universe. In the universe. Every event can be explained in a rational way by the product of some previous event. This religious faith of scientists is violated by the discovery that the world had a beginning. He's talking about Genesis here. Uh, that the world had a beginning under conditions in which the known law of physics are not valid. In other words, and God said. <laughs> I love that. And is a product of forces or circumstances we cannot discover. He that comes to God must believe that he is. God never tries to prove his existence. Never. Ever. You're either going to take him at his word or you're not. Okay? At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. Did you catch that? He's put creation in there. Interesting. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. You think? Yeah. It goes back to this factual stuff we were talking about. He has, I love this phrase. I meant to underline this. I forgot. Sorry about that. Notice this phrase. He, that is the scientist, has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Holy cow. Now this guy gets it. Even if he is an old dude. He finally figured it out. Science simply cannot answer the unanswerable. It can't do it. And more and more, these guys are coming out and standing against this and simply coming to terms with the fact that our system does not work. And for years, when I've uh, talked with these people and stuff and those that would hold to this, I have said, listen, science and religion are the same thing. Exactly what this guy's been saying. And they said, well, that isn't true. Science and faith aren't the same thing. Yes, they are. Because you guys are claiming to believe in something that cannot be proven the same way that I do. 
But for me, you call it faith. If you want to have trust in something that you cannot test, reproduce, which is the basic definition of science, and you choose to believe in that, I'm okay with that, but let's call it what it is, folks. It's faith. It's faith. So it's a religion. That's what this guy is talking about. Okay? Interesting. Who is this? Robert Jastrow. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Robert Jastrow, but trust me, this guy was up there in the science field, and I'll bet he got no end of garbage for writing this, because where did he write it? In God and the Astronomer. He, and astronomer. he wrote it in, 19, in the year 2000, and there are the pages. Who is this guy? He's the director of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. He's not a lackey. He's not an underling. He's the director. I bet he doesn't hold that position currently because they tend to lose their positions when they do this. And where does he, where does he serve in this capacity? At, of all places, the Goddard Institute. Holy crud. For this man to make this statement, it makes me want to just, it made me want to jump on my desk and just go, yippee, finally. You know? Finally, somebody with enough courage to admit that, you know what? We don't understand what we think we understand. Finally, somebody is so well respected within the scientific community has finally come out and stood against this stuff. Now, is he a believer? Isn't he a believer? It doesn't say, and I've seen a, a, a recent, if you saw, what was the... Uh, Oh, uh, there was a video. We all watched it. We all had it out here. What was it called? Um, the indescribable. Is it the indescribable? Yeah, it's the video. At the end, if you look, when they got all those things, it says there's, a, uh, um, there's an interview with Jastrow, Robert Jastrow. And I, this is one of the things I watched. And he kept saying, man, he, he, he kept saying, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't answer this. And I've been a man of science my whole life and searched and searched. And he goes... And he goes, and, and every time you, you think, and this is based on probably what he said here. If you guys have seen, anybody see that? Did anybody watch that? Okay, this, when he does this thing, it's really cool. But he comes to the end of this thing, and he says, he goes, now, am I going to say that there is a God out there? No, I'm not. I just can't explain it without a God. And I thought, oh, my heart just broke. It just broke because there's a guy that's starting to get it. But he's so steeped in his faith, in his religion, just like those of us who have come out of religions that have diluted the gospel, right? We've come out of these things now. And, and it's so hard to let those things go because there's a great comfort zone in there. And that's what he's talking about. So I thought this was really phenomenal. And I wanted to put this in there because as we were, we're talking now about God's, the divine revelation of, of the origin of all things, that list plus all those other things, I just thought this would fit really well in there. I just, I just found this to be phenomenal. It was just stunning to me. And understand something. Don't let anybody kid you. True science, and there's a lot of true, good, solid science never disproves the scripture. In fact, the scripture always proves the science. You see, what we as believers have to do is stop being guilty of what the world does. We don't look at the Bible through the filter of science. 
No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We look at science through the filter of the scripture. And when they don't line up, science is wrong. It's as simple as that. That's what those guys would not admit on that program I watched the other night. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. And it's interesting to me how they always bring these well-known, big-name guys and stuff, and they never talk to the local yokels like you and me. How come we're never on these shows? You ever notice that? Because you know why? We don't have PhD after our name. Piled higher and deeper, right? But now, they're never going to ask us. These guys are so smart and so intelligent. God bless them. They're just, but they're, 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 you know, um, their positions, their recognition is at stake if they would come to something like this. But you know what? Isn't it time to stand up and be a man? I think it is. It's part of the problem. So, so there you have it. So, so never allow anybody, anybody, I don't care who it is, to tell you and compare science and the scripture. Where, where the scripture says something science does not, you go with the scripture because it's from God. And he knows a lot more than the scientists do. Okay? That's because he has revealed the origin of all these things. Okay? So, now based, jumping off again, chapters 1 to 11, we will find the origin and the history of humanity. And that's why chapters 1 through 11 are so greatly attacked by the critic and those that would condemn belief in the God or the God of the Bible, okay? Because those chapters, you cannot allow those chapters in and hold to what the world wants to hold to. And again, tragically, the church has, has shifted that direction. What a tragedy. But chapters 12 to 50 give us the origin and the history of Israel, and the reason that's important, and their crucial role in God's plan of redemption. Without Israel... There is no Messiah. Without Messiah, there is no redemption. And without redemption, there is no salvation. We have no hope. None. That's why those chapters, but they can deal with 12 to 50 because it doesn't try to tell them where they came from. 1 to 11, now that's a different story. Can't accept that. Okay? Now, while in Genesis we see the origin of things, Revelation, uh, while in Genesis we see the origin of things, Revelation records the culmination of those same things. They're like bookends. I don't know if you guys have heard this said before, and I know some of you are familiar with all of this stuff. But what happens in Genesis with the creation of the world and therefore fall and all that that brought into it is all completely reversed in the book of Revelation in chapters 21 and 22. <laughs> okay, not the whole of the book, the last two chapters. Okay, so here's what, uh, this is now what, uh, um, uh, this is uh, Henry Morris from, on his, in his uh, commentary, the Genesis record. He says, Genesis is important not only as a history of man's origin, but also as a prophecy of man's future. The book of Revelation should be taken literally, chapters 1 to 11, should be taken literally no less than the book of Genesis. Oops, I'm sorry, uh, he's talking about Revelation, not Genesis. Oh, Genesis isn't capitalized there. Paradise lost in Genesis becomes paradise regained in Revelation. Okay? Now, again, I, 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 we're going to look at, at some of these things, um, but the ones I'm going to put up here for you are uh, 
are, are, are not by any way exhaustive. In other words, there are many more, but these are the highlights and a comparison between the two groups. And I had to put it small. I apologize for that, but it wouldn't fit nice and neatly lined up like that if I'd have made the font any bigger. But you notice there are the two, the two groups there, the probationary world, in other words, Genesis, okay? Uh, and notice this is all through Genesis chapter 3, pre-fall, okay? And then the eternal world, which of course is described. Now notice um, the division of light and darkness in Genesis 1-4, okay? Uh, and then, but in Revelation, we find that there is no light. Now notice this is, you got to pay attention now. This is eternity, okay? Not kingdom. There's a difference. There's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ on his throne in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. That is the kingdom age, the age to come, the Jews called it, okay? And then at the end of that age, the kingdom age, eternity enters the picture, Genesis, or Revelation chapter 21, 22, okay? So we have yet to go through much, uh, or there's much yet to go before we actually get into what's called eternity. And in eternity, of course, um, there's not, uh, this is where in Genesis 21, 22, this is where you read that there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem for the old has passed away. God is not going to rework this. It's under the curse. And it will be even when Jesus is here on the throne. The only time that will change is when God reworks everything and creates a new heaven and a new earth, this time not allowing sin to enter the picture. Okay? Then, of course, there's the division of the land and the sea, but in Revelation, there's no more sea. There's the rule of the sun and the moon and all the other heavenly bodies within the book of Genesis, but in, the Revel in, the, in, uh, in eternity, there's no need of the sun or the moon. Man is, is in a prepared garden in, uh, in Genesis chapter 2. That garden is called Eden, specific unique place that God prepared specifically for man, okay? But in, in, the, in the eternity, um, man is in a prepared city, the New Jerusalem. There is gold in the land in Genesis that flows out through the four rivers, the Pishon, Gishon, or Gihon, uh, the, the Tigris, and the Euphrates, but there's gold in the city, okay? Then there's the tree of life in the garden, and then in, uh, in eternity, there's the tree of life in the city, okay? There's bdellium and onyx stone and all of the other precious jewels, and there are precious stones in Revelation as well. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in chapter 3, verse 8, and God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. God has always wanted an intimate relationship with us, always, until man did what he did, and God had to say, Adam, where, where are you? What a tragedy. Continues to this day, doesn't it? So God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, but God dwells with his people. Because walking in the cool of the day meant that he wasn't there during the other times. At least not, you know, present. Present reality, but obviously he was there because he's God. But he did, was there in the evening. But in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, in the new earth, he dwells. He lives, abides among his people. Okay. Then the world that was cursed, notice this is all after the flood now, I'm mean, sorry, after the fall, okay, in Genesis, and of course then the eternal world again, still by comparison, the ground is cursed, there's no more curse. There's daily sorrow, there's no more sorrow. There's thorns and thistles, there's no more pain, struggle. There's sweat on the face, but the tears are wiped away. 
There's the eating of herbs in the field, and then there's the 12 manner of fruits, the tree of life that produces 12 different types of fruit. Now, how, can, how about that kind of tree, huh? How cool would that be? And each month it's a different fruit, Revelation tells us. Returning to the dust in the cursed world, but there's no death in the, in the eternity. Um, the coats of skin which covered or atoned for the sin of Adam and Eve are replaced by fine white linen in the new heaven, the new earth. Robes of righteousness given to the saints, not earned. Satan is in opposition, but Satan is banished in eternity. In the garden, they were kept from the tree of life, both before the fall as well as after the fall. They weren't kept from the tree before the fall. They were told not to, not to partake of it. But afterwards, they were banned from it. Remember, they were removed from the garden with the angels, with the swords, to keep access back to the tree of life. They're kept from it, but there's access to the tree of life, that one that has the 12 fruit. They were banished from the garden, but they're free to, and we're free to enter the city in eternity. The Redeemer was promised. Redemption is completed in eternity. And every thought and intent of his heart was only evil continually in Genesis. Right? Man, sad. But nothing that defiles in the new, uh, in the new heaven, in the new Jerusalem. So, so there's this great reversal that goes on both before the fall in Genesis and Revelation and after the fall in Genesis and Revelation. There's a complete reversal of, of these things. And what stands between the two? Redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what changed everything. Okay? From, from, from the world before the curse, the world after the curse, to, the, to eternity without the curse, and, uh, and, and a new created world. Okay? Really interesting stuff. Now, uh, I'll finish with this. Genesis and the New Testament. Um, there are at least, really, 165 references to Genesis in the New Testament. That's a lot. Okay? More than any other book, by the way. Okay? We could, we could uh, go in there. You could even, I almost broke this down, but I didn't think it'd be important for you to see it. But, but uh, all of the major, major bleh, characters or people of that time, for the most part, in other words, um, Adam, uh, uh, Cain, uh, good grief, Noah, um, Abraham, we could go on and on. Uh, there's, there's many, many references to those guys that come out of Genesis within the New Testament, besides all the references to them, okay? Of those 165 references, of that 165, 100 of them are directly from Genesis 1 to 11. Hmm, imagine that. Seemed like the Lord felt like they were pretty important, right? And had the Spirit put it down. And six of that hundred, uh, six of those chapters are directly referred to by Jesus. Because he understood, obviously, the significance of this. So, so the whole concept of Genesis as the book of origins is if we're going to understand all that is, that surrounds us immediately, which, surround, which is working within us, which goes beyond us out into the, the farthest reaches uh, of infinity, all of these things are explained and revealed by God in the pages of this amazing book called Genesis. Okay? 
It's where it all starts. Every river that flows throughout the scripture, and I don't care what river it is, originates from Genesis. It all goes right back to there, to the head. I guess, could, would you call that headwaters? I guess. And so that's really what the purpose is. Now, uh, as I said earlier, we're going to look at this uh, next week, but just so that you know, just kind of touch base a little bit. Um, we're going to look at this, again, not chapter by chapter. We're going to spend time where I, where I feel... Where I feel we're going to need to spend time, we'll sort of we'll really get into these things and and uh, uh, and line some of these things out. In other words, we need to understand the days of creation, what was going on there, you know. Because I hope you understand. If you don't, hopefully by the time we we get through that part, you will. That the six days of creation, there were three days of forming, and then there were three days of filling that which was formed. Okay, so we're going to be looking at all of that. Okay? and getting an understanding of what's taking place and why that's significant. Because remember, it's because of God's divine revelation. So we need to understand those things. Certainly we already talked about the significance of understanding man in the image and likeness. And by man, I mean mankind um, uh, in the image and the likeness of God and, and, and how that all works and why you know, uh, we've created this massive problem for, us, for ourselves uh, and once we understand uh, what's going on, in fact, this is part of the class that Terry teaches all the time, the uh, coming to terms with reality. Um, this, this all has to do, and to do, to do with this, this kind of uh, understanding. So we'll understand Genesis, why the flood. We talked about it before. We'll touch on that again, kind of refresh ourselves on that. Um, the significance of Babel, the significance of where the nations came from. Uh, we'll, we'll, there's a lot of those things we'll, we'll take some time on. But I want you, just, I want you to understand, because you guys know me, uh, that I, I have a hard time not teaching literally verse by verse. It drives me crazy to teach, because it, first of all, it keeps me on track. And because in case you're not aware of it, I have a tendency to wander. No. <laughs> so going verse by verse and literally breaking down the verses, it keeps me in line. But I just, for, for what I, God has put on my heart, I, I think we just, we're going to take a broader look and really sort of grasp the, uh, the really high points or uh, significant points, okay? So we'll talk about that next week and how we're going to launch into that and how we're going to go. And it's this whole idea. We're going to, I want to follow this concept of the toll dot, okay? So don't worry about that. If you don't get it now, you'll hopefully get it next week. Amen? All right, cool stuff, huh?